All right, good evening, everybody. If you want to turn to Colossians chapter 2, that's where we'll be tonight, Colossians 2. Colossians is such a great book, so clear, um, and especially this chapter. It's just a spectacular chapter on just, I don't know, just so nuts and bolts of it, and so clear and so freeing. There's just a lot of joy in this. There's a lot of... Um, when Paul writes, sometimes when Paul writes, it ain't so clear. When, when he writes this, when he wrote this book, he understood his audience. I mean, he obviously understood all of it, but for me, I'm a Colossian. I must have been, you know, a Colossian or something, because when I read this book, I'm just, oh, I get it, you know. Uh, it's like he's writing directly to me, and it's just such a, such a blessing. So when he writes this chapter 2, um, he is really trying to help them to understand what they've been taught is correct, what people have come in behind Paul and taught isn't, and uh, for them to be get back to that place of enjoying their walk with Jesus again, enjoying it, um, freeing them up maybe in some of their hang-ups that, they've, that they have, um, some of their you know, past that they need to understand what Christ has done for them, um, you know, what exactly has Jesus done in my life? I mean, I know he died on the cross for my sins, but where does that leave me? And, and some of the things and habits that I have and, and so on. And Paul just tries to just bring them along so gently, so carefully, but um, gent- gently and force- forcefully at the same time. I don't know how, else to, how he does it, but he does it. Um, and so that's where we are. Now, before we get into chapter 2, I wanted to let you know next week uh, we've got a special speaker coming in. Uh, we're going to be on vacation, but John Tyner, who goes to church here, he's a professor and used to teach um, uh, uh, church history and so on. And I said, I don't, I don't care what you teach. Teach whatever God puts on your heart. I, I surprised him. He was sitting here. I said, hey, you want to teach next Wednesday? Or the, the Wednesday I'm gone. It was two weeks ago. And he looked at me because, you know, John's, oh, um, yes. I said, we need to pray about it? He goes, no, I was praying about it on the way to church here. What would, what would I teach if J.D. ever asked me to teach? <laughs> I said, well, we're, it's a done deal, isn't it? So I think you'll be blessed. Um, he is just really smart, like really smart, like advanced degree after advanced degree after advanced degree to where it's like a hobby for him, I think. Um, and so I think you'll really enjoy it. So anyway, he'll be here next Wednesday. Toby will be teaching this Sunday. Um, And so anyway, that's what's going on this week. All right, chapter 2. For I want you to know what a a great conflict. Conflict's kind of a funny word there. In fact, you'll see that little number one there. And if you go over to your center column reference, his struggle or his concern, maybe. uh, for, For I want you to know what a great concern or conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all, rich, all riches of the full assurances or assurance uh, of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's his conflict. That's his concern. I want you as a church and the church in Laodicea, um, who, who, who haven't had a year with me to teach you, that's basically what he's saying, not that they're less or, or, or any less of a Christian, um, but I haven't been able to tell you. And so my heart is that I want you to be knit together in love 
as a body of believers in Laodicea and also in Colossae. Um, but I also want you to attain all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. He wants them to understand their faith. God wants us to understand our faith. And so this is written, obviously, by the Holy Spirit through the hand of Paul. God doesn't want it to be, I mean, it is a mystery, but he wants to reveal it, okay? Um, it is something we learn. It isn't just handed to us, um, but he does want us to know it. Uh, and so I look for that. Every time I read, every time you read, I'm sure you have the same thing. I want, I want to know more. I want to understand more. I don't want to just... I don't know, sometimes I can read the Bible and I can tell you where it is, I can tell you what it says, but I'm not so sure I understand it. You know, I can tell you the cross-references, I can tell you other points in the Bible that mean the same thing or kind of talk about the same subject, and that's good knowledge to have, but I end up being more like a card catalog, if you remember what those are in the library. You know, I can tell you where that stuff is, but I can't give you insight. I can't give you experience because I don't understand it. I need understanding. And so Paul's heart, as he writes this letter, is that I want you to have understanding. To, to the knowledge of the mystery of God. I want you to understand the knowledge of the mystery of God. So I want you to know him, not only him, just the Father, but also of Christ. And you see how he puts those two together. So you're fully aware that Jesus is fully God. He, he throws that in there. I want you to know the mystery of God, both the Father and Jesus. Okay? So there is no dispute on that. Um, everybody knows that Jesus is God, um, but... Some do dispute, but they don't read this verse, I guess. In whom, in Jesus, are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything you wanted to know. And I, and I, have, and I, and I, I have a kind of a funny view on this, and this is me, okay? Um, but I believe that if I pray about things that I've never done before, I believe God can give me the wisdom to do those things. I also believe he shows us in other ways. He can show us through older men, older women in our lives. They can teach us these same truths um, and understanding. But if there's no one around, I'm on a desert island. I know, what are the odds? But suppose I'm there, and I've got to start a fire, and I've never done it before. I bet if I prayed about it, the one who knows all can teach me how to do that. He can just, he can just show it to me, right? Um, I believe that with all my heart. I've had moments like that, doing plumbing jobs. My dad was not a tinkerer. I mean, when, when the car didn't run, we don't know what's wrong with it. We just took it someplace. It could be out of gas, but we're not going to check. You know, it was, just that, it was just that way with us. Flat tire, we have AAA. You know, that doesn't even compute with me, and most of you probably like, you can't change a tire. We probably could, but we're not going to do it. <laughs> we just called AAA. Um, and, of course, he did. I'm, I'm, I'm making more of it than it really was. But that being said, I didn't learn a lot of the things about being a homeowner that you would maybe pick up from dads around here, okay? Um, when something broke, you called someone to fix it, just what you did. Um, so I've had to learn a lot of things on my own, a lot, of, a lot of trips to Sutherland's for plumbing jobs and a lot of repeat trips. You know what that's like. But I pray about stuff. God, I'm going to tackle something. Um, I was thinking about John when he was, you're replacing your pump on your, on your dishwasher, right? Just, okay, here we go, right? And I've done that with my washer. My, my washer went out, and I'm like, okay, I can either call somebody who's going to tell me for 50 bucks that it's broken and then sell me a part for $85 that I can find online for 35 I know that's going to happen. I know that's how to. So wait, we've got the Internet. So I prayed. I said, God, do you want me to do this? Can I do this? Yep. Internet was wrong. None of my... Models matched up, but I just prayed. I, I, I want to get this done, and we don't have the money to do a $200 job here. 
You know, I, I need to get it done for 35. And he knew that. And he just showed me how to do it. I mean, it worked. I turned it on and all the lights came back on and everything. I was so shocked. Um, that's just a small anecdote. There's much bigger issues, though. How do I deal with my aging parents? How do I, you know, people can give you some wisdom, for sure, as they've gone through this experience, but you know what? You've got to pray your way through that stuff because every parent's different. Some parents want to be seen every single day. Some parents want to be left alone, you know, and you've got to figure out as a kid, what does my adult, what do my parents want? You know, you've got to pray your way, and God will show you, and he does that. And so Paul's heart for them is, I want you to, to know that he has all hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's all in him. It's all there. It's all waiting for us. Turn to Psalm 37, if you will. Um, excellent psalm. When it comes to wanting to know God's will for your life, basically. You know, what do you want me to do? And I think it ties into this, personally. It says, I'm just going to read a lot of it. He starts off, David writes this because he's concerned about what everybody else is doing around him. And so David writes, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, because they seem to get ahead, is, is the idea. Um, and so maybe I should do some sin so that I can get ahead too. For they shall soon be cut down like grass. In other words, it's not going to last. And wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. These are the things you do. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. I think that goes right along with what we were just reading here. The mysteries and the knowledge. I don't, God, what do you want to do with my life? I, it doesn't matter how hard I squint, I cannot see the future, and I have tried. What does God want to do next month? And I just sit there, and I... I mean, my brain is in smoke coming out my ears. I don't know. And so I have to go to the one that has all wisdom and all knowledge, and I have to commit my way to him. I don't know what's going to happen. I'd like to know what's going to happen, but you're not telling me what's going to happen, so I'm going to commit my way to you. And when I do that, he guides me with his wisdom and knowledge all the way through. And I find myself at the other end of the tunnel, the other end of, uh, other, at the end of the road, that I'm not so sure about, and I find, hey, we traveled that well, you know. Commit your ways to God. If that's all he gives you, because he's not, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm a step-by-step -step person. God, I want to know the next step. I want to know, and I'll, that's fine. I'll go one step at a time, but could you give me step? We're on, I'm standing on step stone number two. Could you show me where three is? And sometimes he won't show me that. And so you sit there, and I could sit there forever on stone two because I'm a very stubborn person. I'm not moving off two until I know where three is, and that's fine. Sometimes he wants me to just commit my way to him. I don't know how to explain that, but sometimes I just need to pray, God, I don't know what to do next. I'm going to commit my way to you, and I'm going to let you have it unfold. And all of a sudden, I'll find myself on step five. I don't know what happened. I don't know the mechanics of it, but find myself further along the road. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. Three and four kind of happened without me knowing it. And here I am on five. And you just realize you've been progressing. You've moved. Commit your way to God. And Paul says that that is where your wisdom is. That's where all knowledge is and all wisdom. You want to know your future. You want to know your path. You want to know what God has in store for you. Commit your way to him. Study him. Know him. Verse 4, Now this I say, 
lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. That's his concern. That's why he's writing it. When you study the Bible, why did Paul write this? He wrote this because there are, out, there are people out there trying to deceive you with persuasive words. Deception, um, I don't know how, I don't, I don't think it comes any other way but with persuasive words. And, and that's a red flag for me. Um, why are you so intent on persuading me in this direction? You know, um, I'm not a, I'm not always, uh, uh, well, I can't think of the word, um, suspicious person. When someone's overly interested in me and they hadn't been before, and all of a sudden they have this sudden interest in me and they want to help me with my life, it's like, I don't know. It's just, a, it's a sense you get, you know. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be deceived with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Stay steadfast in Christ. I don't want you to slip away from Christ, which is what can happen if you're deceived with persuasive words. That's what he's getting at. I want you to stay where you are. I can't be there, but I can write you a letter, and I can pray for you, and I can be with you in spirit. And he's trying to encourage him. What you believed is right. What anybody's telling you otherwise is deceptive. Paul doesn't even have to know what's being said. If they're teaching any other thing than what I've taught you, it is deception. That's, that's pretty awesome to be able to say that about what you've taught somebody. I don't know what they're telling you. I don't need to know their story. But if you're questioning what you were taught in Scripture, then it goes. Had a conversation with a young man online. I was brought into the conversation because someone thought a pastor should show up. So there I was. And I don't like to do this normally because I always get a sense that when someone asks a question, it's usually not because they want an answer. It's because they want to argue. And I've just experienced that way. No, no, not always. Sometimes it's genuine. But there was a question. Can you answer it? So I gave him an online. I mean, it was, you'd have to scroll through the answer. I mean, it was complete, complete. And it was all scripture. It's just chapter after chapter, and here, da, 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 you know, it's all there. And it wasn't three minutes later the response was, yeah, but what about this? You didn't read it. You just wanted to argue. So here we went on this jaunt, and he got to the point, and I said, you know what? Jesus is God, and it says so in Hebrews 1.8, and I quoted in the Scripture. Just a very short one. You're not reading the long one, so let me give you a short one. Hebrews 1.8. There's a long pause. He says, well, that's pertaining to the Old Testament. I said, well, I don't think I can help you then. That was my final post. He goes, well, I think you did. I think we both learned a lot. I think I've shared this story with you before. And I ended it there because I know that I get, I can start feeling my breathing getting heavy and hard, and I want to meet the person, you know. <laughs> we didn't learn anything, young man, you know, whoever you are. And the thought that I didn't put down on I thought, well, the scripture obviously hit home or he wouldn't have had to discount it. And my thought was, when you have to, and here's what I'm getting at, and here's the point. If you have to throw out scripture for your belief, then your belief needs to go. I don't have to know where you got your belief. But when you take Hebrews 1.8 and say, yeah, but that doesn't apply. Well, Jesus didn't change from being God to not being God. How can that, that didn't change between Old Testament and New Testament, but you threw that out because it was a direct front, affront to your belief. So your belief goes. I don't have to know what you believe. If it's contrary to Scripture, it goes. And so that's basically 
what Paul's saying. That I don't know because I'm not there, but I do know this. I want you to be steadfast in your faith. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. And, it's, and, I'm, and I'm making an emphasis there because Paul's saying you don't need anything else other than him. Look, you, you received Christ, right? We did. You don't need anything else. Therefore, have you received Christ the Lord? Yeah, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So, so Paul's response to whatever they're teaching them is you have everything you need in Jesus and just walk in him. And as you walk in him, you get rooted and you get grounded. You get built up. You don't get torn down. And you get established in your faith, established, you know, we're still, you know, I think 16 years in Maryville trying to get established here in this town as a family, the Dirks, you know, um, you know, trying to, we're not fly by night, you know, uh, uh, we're going to be here. And, but if you didn't go to high school here and you didn't go to college here, you're kind of not here yet. Uh, and so we're trying to get established. Now that's just a, a funny way of putting, when you walk with Christ, you just get more and more established. There's something to be said for longevity. I've been walking with the Lord for 20 plus years now, and not all those years were great. Um, you look at the rings of a tree, right? You cut it down and you look at the rings of the tree. Some of them have big growth and some of them really close together. That's kind of my life with Jesus. Some of them were boom, oh, I got it, you know? And other times, well, I'm still saved this year, you know? Um, they weren't great, not all of them. But there's something to be said for longevity. I'm still standing. My roots, they grew an inch. They didn't grow a foot, but they grew an inch. You know, there's something to be said for that. And so Paul's just saying, being rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, you're getting more and more solid. Interesting fact, you probably already know this, but I love looking at trees. I learned this a long time ago in grade school. You probably have learned it too. But they say the root system is identical to what's above. And that's just mind-blowing when you think of a cottonwood or something that the roots are actually that deep, as tall as a cottonwood. Cottonwoods are really big trees around here. They're as deep, and the branches, and you look at a, you look at a bur oak or something, and you think that's, that root system is underground as well. And that's the point of, obviously, this picture. That's why I love this picture. When I found it online, um, it's, it's just exactly what you want. Um, it's totally balanced out. And so Paul says, in Christ, and you don't need anything else, in him you're rooted, you're built up, and you're established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. He's obviously heard something, or he knows that it's coming their way. Don't let anyone cheat you. And that's what he feels like. It's not a, he's not correcting them as a father does a son. You know, he's not, um, this isn't discipline. It's, you're getting ripped off. When you get moved away from Christ and onto something else, you're, you're missing out on the best. You're missing out. Um, and I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to be cheated. Don't be cheated with philosophy. Don't be cheated with empty deceit. A philosopher, and there's nothing wrong with reading philosophy and understanding it, but keep it in, in light of, of Scripture. Anytime philosophy is right, it's because it lines up with Scripture. You have the greatest philosophy book ever. I mean, it's perfect. Um, it's not philosophy necessarily. It's, it's just it's God's mind. It's his heart at the same time. And so you have it. Um, you have everything. 
And so I don't want you to be ripped off. I don't want you to be cheated on what you could have. Peace. <laughs> that's, that's the biggest thing that gets roughed off from, from the, the Ephesians, the Philippians, um, the Colossians. When these guys showed up, they ripped off. They took these Christians' peace. They had peace. I'm saved. Tears streaming down their face, overjoyed, hands raised in praise. And then these guys come along and they steal that saying, yeah, you're kind of saved. And it totally puts you back to that place where you were searching uh, before you found Christ. And Paul knows that. Don't fall into that empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of, of the world. And that's what they are. They're worldly principles and not according to Christ. Um, for in him, and so here, here's what he means, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. I mean, talk about Jesus being God. Paul just said everything about God is in Christ. It's all there. He was complete, and you're complete in him. Not only was Christ, this is the thing, and this is really hard to get your mind around or your heart around maybe, but as complete as Christ was being fully God, so are you in him. As you're saved in Christ, I'm a born-again believer, I've hidden myself in Christ, you're as complete. We don't feel complete. We feel like we've got a lot of work to be done. We think that way, and I think that way, and we do. I mean, there's a lot of sin that needs to go, and there's thoughts that come in, and we just really don't feel worthy, and I know all that. But from God's perspective, as far as your righteousness goes, as far as your acceptance goes, it's complete. In Christ, it's good. You can't add anything to it. And Paul wants him to desperately know that. Please know that you're complete, as complete as Christ was, and the, you are the same. Uh, and he's the head of all principality and power. You're complete in him. We actually, when we, when we did an ad at the, you know, have you seen the ad at, at the movie theater when you go there that, that Laura Street put up? Um, great. Uh, we did something similar to that years ago, and this is the scripture we put up. It's the first thing we wanted to get in there. Don't, it's strange. It's not, it's not the gospel necessarily. But we felt when we got here, as I prayed about, what should we put up on the screen? This is the section of scripture. Beware. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of ominous. <laughs> it started scrolling on the, when the first time we saw it, this is, the, 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 the guy read it. You know, he didn't let me read it. He, he read it himself, the guy that makes those uh, videos. And this starts scrolling, beware, lest anyone cheat you. Through, I'm going, that's a little heavy, you know, <laughs> for, for a Pixar film or whatever that was coming up next. But there it was, scrolling. Um, it's that important. Um, it's that tricky. These, these things sneak up on us, and they cheat us. They rip off our peace. They take away our reward. They take away our, our joy. Um, and we just have to be so careful about that. And he's going to explain more as he gets into this a little bit more. Um, verse 11. In him, look at this. Now we're all in Christ and we're complete in Christ. In other words, there's no rituals we have to go through. Here's what's, here's what's happened to us since we've become Christians, since we found ourselves in him. You were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It's a different circumcision. You were buried with him. In baptism. In other words, in Christ, I've already been baptized. I'm in him, which is exactly what Peter was talking about in chapter 3, verse 21. That's the baptism we're concerned with, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. It's all happened, past tense, 
I've been circumcised. And he's not talking about the physical. I've been baptized. And he's not talking about the physical. I've been raised from the dead. And obviously we haven't because we haven't died yet. But we have in God's mind. That's where we are. It's complete. It's a foregone conclusion. Um, I mean, there's so many different ways to say the same thing. But I'm going to heaven. I haven't gone yet, but I'm going. And I know that with all full assurance because of the scriptures that we're reading tonight. I have been circumcised. I have been baptized. I have been raised with him. And if Christ was raised, that's why the Easter is so important to us. If Christ really rose from the dead, then I'm going. It hasn't happened, but I am going. As surely as he was raised, I'm raised. As surely as he was baptized, that's why he said that. Everybody wonders, well, why did Jesus have to get baptized? It's right here. When he got baptized, it's all of us. Now, we still have water baptisms around here. I think that's important. We're supposed to do that. We're told that in Matthew, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to do that, of course. But if you never made it to the water, if you never got circumcised, you're okay. You're saved. You're complete in him. And he wants them to know that. Be careful of the rituals that they're coming in to teach you must be done and added to what you found in Christ. You can't add to him. He's complete. We're perfect. Salvation has to be so simple that someone in a vegetative state in the hospital can receive Christ in their mind and be saved and go to heaven if they died and never left that hospital again. It has to be that way. It has to. It's very simple. So he says it just flat out. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. This just It's perfect. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, in other words, I'm very well aware that you haven't been circumcised and that you uh, haven't died and haven't been raised yet. That's why he puts this in here. Um, and you, being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcised in your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. It's a big doctrine out there that your sins are forgiven, but your trespasses aren't, because trespasses are something you do after you know you're not supposed to cross the line, and you cross the line anyway into other people's property, you've trespassed, and that sin isn't. It's a ridiculous doctrine because it's not biblical, and we have scripture that tells us right here, your trespasses are forgiven. Your iniquities are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your trespasses are, are, are forgiven. All three of those things are words that men like to come up with, and I believe, personally, that they love the power that it gives them. I think it gives men power when they begin to teach things like that. Yeah, your sins have been forgiven, but not your trespasses, brother, and I have to put that in there because that's what they sound like. And it gives them power over you. And that's, ugh, you can't have anybody between you and Jesus. And so Paul writes that down. You were dead in your trespasses, but you, you, he's forgiven you all your trespasses. So don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. In other words, your, your rap sheet, basically. You broke this law, you broke that law. And I believe me, we had books. <laughs> written about all of our sins, because they were all written down, everything. But he wiped them out, it says. He didn't, interesting word, wording, 
he didn't just pay the price for them, which he did. He wiped them out. And that's what justified means. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Um, and that's something I still don't have my mind. That's one of those things I'm um, openly, I have no idea how that happens. I have no idea how God can look at me. I mean, I do. He sees this. I mean, I know how to tell it to you. We're in Christ. He sees his son, and I tell you that all the time. But he looks at me as if I've been a perfect person, have been a perfect person. He's wiped them out. The handwriting of requirements that was against us. As far as the east is from the west, he's separated. He's moved that sin from me which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That explains why he became sin for us. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He triumphed over death. That's one of those powers and principalities. These are things that are, uh, these are laws. When you sin, you have a second death. It's immediate. As soon as you sin, there's a second death waiting for you. You'll die physically, and then you'll die spiritually. That's automatic. It's a law of the universe. It's a law of creation. It's a law of God. And when Christ died on the cross, he says he's disarmed that. That's no longer waiting for me or you. And he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, it wasn't secretive. It was everybody should know it. It's not a hidden thing. Everybody needs to know this. Jesus disarmed all those things that were armed against us. They've been disarmed. So, after saying all of that, Paul gets into it here. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. Don't let anybody judge you in food. I'm going to go through these one at a time. Don't let anybody judge you in food. You can eat whatever you want. It doesn't make you more righteous to not eat this or to eat more of that. You don't become more righteous. There may be some health concerns out there. Please follow your doctor's guidelines. Of course. But that doesn't make any difference spiritually. Guys, these bodies ain't coming with us. We plant them and we get new bodies. For now, we're really thankful that you're keeping us healthy and safe in your new job there. But eventually, we're all going to shrivel and die, right? We're going to become worm food, and that's, that's the point. Don't worry about the things that get eaten and eliminated. Even Jesus said that. Why are you concerning with the washing of the hands? Don't you know that it gets eliminated? That was a pretty coarse thing to say back then. You don't say those things out loud publicly, but don't you know that stuff just comes on out, you know? So don't worry about that. Don't let anybody judge you in food. You can eat whatever you want. Now, um, don't let anybody judge you in drink. Now, he's talking about all kinds of drink. He's talking about milk, but he's also talking about wine and anything else you got out there. Don't let anybody judge you in that. You know, I think people, and I, and I want to, I guess I'll take the opportunity to make it clear. One of our, one of our rules that we put in place that aren't, scriptural necessarily. They're not there. It's just something we picked up on that we think applies in 1 Corinthians and Romans 14 and so on, um, is that we don't let specific ministry positions, we don't want you drinking alcohol while you're in those positions, whether you're a teacher um, or whether you're um, on a worship team, no alcohol. That doesn't mean that the, the Sunday school teachers and the worship teams are more spiritual than you are because they don't drink and you do. That's not what we're saying. Um, it has nothing to do with this section of Scripture here. It, 
it doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with, am I, if it causes someone to, it has to do with Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 is where we get this from. If in those positions you're in a place of ministry and someone has a struggle with that or had had a struggle in that and there is a difficulty for them, we don't want to, you to be a hindrance to their growth. I can't talk to you because I can smell it on your breath or whatever. It's, it, that's just it. Um, that's the only reason. You step out of those positions, have a beer, have wine. It makes no difference. That, that, that doesn't make you more spiritual. We're not a no-alcohol church. And uh, maybe we've not, not been clear enough on that. It, it has only to do with a person not offending the other person you're trying to minister to. That's the only reason we have those rules in place. Um, now, he, he does tell us in 1 Corinthians not to be a drunkard. So although we're not to be judging people in, in drink, you, you can't be a drunkard also. That's something that you were delivered from. And a drunkard is someone who has a, a propensity to get wasted, to get drunk, to get high, whatever you want to call it. Um, they, they just, it's constant for them. Um, but make no mistake about it, Jesus made wine at the wedding. After they had well drunk, he brought more. And that was a one-time event where he, the celebration was going on and they continued to go on. And I imagine some had probably had a little too much because they were, you know, well, I don't know. The, I, I heard a commentator say that it was only 10% and it was just to make the grape juice. Okay. I don't know about that. Um, don't let anybody judge you in food or drink. It doesn't matter whether you're having a beer or having a glass of wine or having milk with your, because it also applies to that dietary law too, no dairy with your meat, so you couldn't have milk and meat in the same meal. Don't let anybody judge you in that stuff. Um, and it's very important you hear what he says there. It's up to you whether you let him or not. It's up to you. Because I guarantee you, they will judge you. But it's up to you whether you let them judge you. And I don't. Um, there's a lot of people that will come into your life and be volunteer mentors to you, whether you've asked them to or not. They just do. Um, and I try to make it a, a, it's a, it's a policy of mine that if you ask me my opinion, I'll give it to you, but otherwise I'm going to stay out of it for the most part. I got up here to stand and teach. You're the ones that showed up and sat down. It's not my fault you're here, right? Um, <laughs> you can get up and walk out anytime. I'll still do what I'm going to do, and you don't have to hear if you don't want to. Um, I don't let people judge me. Um, and, and, and don't let people do that to you. Uh, that's important, especially during food or concerning food or drink or festivals or new moons or Sabbaths or Bible, I'm going to add to it, Bible versions or... Um, well, I don't want to add any more. There's just so many things that you could be judged in and will be judged in. Did you get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit or in Jesus' name only? They'll, they'll actually make a deal out of that. How were you baptized? And I just say, you know what? I got baptized. It was between me and God. I'm not interested. Um, we had a couple come to our church, and they don't come anymore. And I'm glad, to be honest with you. Um, because they came, and they were nice and friendly, and it didn't take them but more maybe three or four months before they started asking the questions they, they came to ask. Um, and it starts off with an email, and I saved them all. I keep all that stuff. I keep those things. It started off with an email. Um, oh, I had a question for you, brother. Mm, no, you don't. 
you've got an argument you want to state. Okay, what is it? And so he gave me this long thing on, on obviously something that we do here that he doesn't believe biblically we should do. And so I gave him the scriptural reference, just a very short, here's what the Bible says. And I left it at that. Hope that helps you, I said. He didn't want help. He wanted to argue. He wanted to teach me. He wanted to become my teacher. And it's like, I'm not going to let you be my teacher. I'm very, very careful about who I let teach me. I let Pastor Chuck Smith teach me. I let Joe Foch teach me. I let older men in the Lord that I know are solid and God is using and are filled with the Holy Spirit, they can beat me up all day long. I'll take that all day long. But I don't take everybody's opinion. I just don't. Um, it gets you in trouble when everybody becomes your advisor. Um, and so, make a long story short, they've, they've moved on. Um, but they've split two other churches before they got here with their thoughts. Um, and they moved from church to church. And they have a, he has a job where he just can travel and he can be planted anywhere. And he does that. Um, and I don't think they mean to split churches necessarily, but they do mean to make the church right. That's their job. We're going to make the church better. And so they come in, instead of witnessing to people and telling people about Jesus, they come in and they try to fix churches. Um, and I gave them enough grief, finally, just with those short answers. Well, here's what the Bible says. Hope that helped. Hope that helped. Finally, he got so exasperated with me on the email. They says, why don't you slow down a little bit and read what I've written? And I said, no, no need. Here's the scripture for you. Well, I said, I'm sorry I couldn't help you. I think that's all I've got for you. And I let him go. I will not let you judge me. God can judge me all day long. Um, older men in the Lord can admonish me all day long. God's word will straighten me out. You know, prayer, you know, but not everybody. And so that's for everybody, not just me. Don't let people judge you. Um, Paul was very concerned with these guys coming in and undoing what Christ was doing in their lives. Um, he says, don't let them judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are all a shadow of things to come. In other words, they were a shadow, and everybody knows that a shadow is cast by something. My hand is casting a shadow. That's the law. That's the Sabbath. That's the dietary law, all that. But who's casting the shadow? And Christ, I'm not, I'm not Christ, but Christ who is casting that shadow came. And we have him, and we're in him. So all that was cast in that shadow we're in him. We're casting the same shadow. Does that, does that help anybody? I'm in Christ. What I couldn't cast on my own, I couldn't keep the law. I couldn't keep the dietary law. I couldn't keep any of it. I couldn't keep the feasts or the Sabbaths, not with, a, not with the proper mind, not without a selfish motivation behind it. I couldn't stop covetousness. But now that I'm in Christ, I cast the shadow. We are complete in him. So don't let anybody judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility. That's, that's where this comes from. They have false humility. It's not true humility. And worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. The head is Christ. He helps us grow. Um, we don't need any more than the head. He's connected to us, uh, you know, without being too new-agey, you know. 
His Holy Spirit flows through us, and he, it's the third person of the Trinity, and he is there to lead and guide us into all truth. Now, we've got time. Let me do uh, Romans 14, because these are um, companion scriptures to this thought. Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 are both companion teachings to this, so I want to read some of them to you. So you understand the other side of things. I don't want you to be judged. Don't let anybody judge you, he says. But then he writes to the Romans, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, which is exactly what we read, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. In other words, obviously, if you decide to have a beer, great. If I decide not to, great. But don't think I can't or should join you, and nor should I tell you to stop. Um, these are individual decisions, and that's why I wanted you to read 1 Corinthians. If you turn that one now, 1 Corinthians 14, or I'm sorry, 8. I'm getting them mixed up now. That's where Paul says there's an individual conviction you may have about something. Now, concerning things offered to idols. So they were going to the meat market. Things have been offered up to idols, and then they take the rest of the meat that had been offered up to Baal or whatever God, and they try to sell it as a fundraiser for their... Okay, so it truly is like a church butcher shop, but not, a, not our kind of church, bad kind of church. And so they would go, concerning things offered to idols, we know, we have knowledge, uh, that we all have not, we, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet he ought to, be ta yet he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered uh, to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. We all know that, right? Um, but for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things and we are for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. We know that, he says. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse." But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours, which we just read about, we have this liberty to eat and drink whatever we want to do. No one can judge us. Now we have to be careful, lest our liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? In other words, God may be working on them to teach them you should not be going to Baal church anymore. And nor should you be eating those meat because you know when you eat that meat, you still think it's consecrated to Baal and you're doing it as an act of worship to Baal. You can't be thinking that way. The rest of us just see a cheap deal over there at the Baal meat shop. 
And so we buy a bunch of hamburger for a dollar a pound because it's way better than the five bucks a pound over there. So we buy it, no one bail ain't nobody. But if Bob sees me buy that meat, he may think, well, he worships Baal. No, 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 no. I don't worship Baal. Baal ain't nothing. I'm just getting free meat. But you don't, have, you don't know and can explain that all the time. That's where we get our alcohol thing. Seeing the Sunday school teacher come out with a 12-pack of beer, oh, oh, well, they, they get drunk too. So we can all get drunk. If God is working on somebody to remove alcohol from their life because it's a problem, because it's a weakness of theirs, and he wants to take that away from them, I don't want to be that stumbling block that teaches them, well, I just need to figure out how to drink more without having such bad consequences. No, 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 no. If God tells you to stop, you've got to stop. It's a personal conviction. So Paul lets him know that. And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. In other words, it's a sin. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. If you're going, obviously, and we've, we've said this before, I know. This is one of those things you could probably finish my sentence for me. But if you're going out to eat with a vegetarian, don't order lamb chops, you know? or pork, or whatever. Um, just eat what they're eating so that you can fellowship in Christ and you don't cause them to stumble. You know, um, And so that's, that's the balance. Those are the companion scriptures for this. There's a balance there. Don't let anybody judge you, but by all means, don't judge anybody else at the same way, okay, towards these things. All right, and then we're going to wrap it up here. Um, therefore, if you died with Christ um, from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. Why do you do it? Why do you submit yourself? Uh, several times I've threatened um, during <laughs> um, um, during Lent to go ahead and have a, instead of having a, a fish fry on Fridays, we're going to have a cheeseburger fry here and just announce it throughout all of Maryville. Well, now you're causing people to stumble. Well, that's my struggle as a pastor and a teacher because Paul's writing this down. If he was really concerned about not offending those who ate vegetables, he wouldn't have written down specifically, you're the weaker brother. So at the same time, as he's trying to, he's trying to teach everybody, I want you guys to not cause the weaker brother to stumble, but by all means... When the weaker brother reads this, he's going to know who he is. And so he's trying to teach both. And so I don't know that I've, I haven't thrown that idea out yet. I, I don't know if I'm going to not do that or not. Because <laughs> I won't do it. But this is it. Why do you subject yourselves to that? I, would I, don't, I don't care what denomination you are or where you go. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, can you explain to me why you why you, why you read this scripture, chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. Why do you submit yourself? Paul wants to know why you, as a denomination, or as a person who goes to that denomination, submit yourselves to those things, because you're not supposed to, nor should you have to. It doesn't make you more righteous. It doesn't make you more holy. You are complete in Christ. And so the heart of the matter isn't to get them to stop having fish fries. Fish is great. The point is, it doesn't make you better when you don't have hamburger or pork 
And you need to know that, the, that you are complete in Christ and that what Christ has done for you is absolutely amazing and you're missing out. You're being ripped off. You, it's being stolen from you. The reward, the beauty, the joy, the peace when you're told that you have to submit to these rules and regulations that are according to the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. That's the whole point of Lent. I want to I deny myself chocolate or soda or whatever it is, some small thing that we know we can probably do for 30 days or however long it is, 40 days. I don't know how long it is. I've never, I don't celebrate it. But we think that it helps. And, and, and there's such a sense of accomplishment at the end of the time. I did it. I didn't have chocolate the whole time. Great. But it, it didn't matter. And your pride in it is actually a step backwards. It's a harmful thing. So, anyway. This is an important chapter, obviously. I'm very passionate about it. Um, I think we understand why. Paul's heart is for us to just fully enjoy Jesus and our walk with him. And knowing that my gentle, purposeful, daily walk with Christ is going to root me. It's going to ground me. I will understand him better. I will grow as a, as a believer and as a worshiper of God. I'm going to, I'm, I'm doing everything he's called me to do. And that is to know that I'm complete in Christ and to relish in that. And Paul just desperately wants him to know that. All right, that's where we close. Lord, we thank you for your heart for us. Um, um, we learned a little bit more tonight. Um, we have a little bit more understanding. We know we've got a long way to go, but we've got a little bit more understanding of who you are and what you've done for us and how perfect your salvation is. Um, we've just explored a little bit more of it tonight, and we thank you for that. Um, we want more. Lord, we want to commit our way to you. Um, we, want to, we want to tap into that knowledge and wisdom that is in Christ um, we want to just be constantly taught as much as we can handle. We know you can only give us so much at a time um, before it gets a little too too much for us. Um, but we'll take as much as you can as much as you can give us, God, to fully understand this joy and peace and beauty of being your kids, um, being saved by you, um, the cross, the resurrection, um, all that you've done for us, God. We just, we thank you with overjoyed hearts. And Lord, also, I know it's already been prayed for, but we, we do. We thank you so much for the rain that came. Um, it, was, it was heavy on a lot of people, even people of faith, even people that know you and trust in you and pray to you. We're praying a little bit harder, um, and we're thankful for what you brought us. And I don't know how far it spread, Lord, but I pray that anybody that lacked, um, I don't know how far north it went or how far south, but anybody that's lacking, I pray that you'd provide that rain for them also. Um, that they can have that peace of mind. And um, um, we just thank you for it. And, uh, Lord, we pray that you'd bless the Sunday school or the Wednesday school teachers for their time that they've taken with our kids. Um, and uh, we pray that you bless them abundantly, Lord, as they gave out and they're going to be spent um, and they're going to be tired. But I pray that you'd fill them up again and fill them with your Holy Spirit and give them an overflowing cup tonight, God. And we thank you for their hearts to serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.